Welcome to episode 100 of Between the Times, a podcast of Christ Church Presbyterian in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, what a joy it is to be together here today with uh, my uh, dear friends and brothers, uh, Pastor Michael Bauer, Assistant Pastor of Christ Church Presbyterian, also of uh, Dr. Gabriel Williams, who is a professor at the College of Charleston. Uh, gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's great to be with you guys. And here we are at episode 100. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a slow crawl uh, from episodes 90 to 100. Um, but we are, as I mentioned last time we were together, uh, excited that now we're on a weekly schedule. Uh, Gabriel, especially, we're thankful to you to, to make mm -hmm. your way over here from uh, from the CFC campus to meet with us on Tuesday afternoon so that we can make this a, a weekly scheduled thing where we're making these episodes. And so we have a lot of great episodes lined up for the next several weeks. And, um, and today we want to talk about uh, a marvelous topic, and that is uh, Paul's epistle to the Romans. Mm -hmm. uh, now, uh, our congregation, of course, uh, will know that I began a series on the Book of Romans in the morning services uh, about six weeks ago. And I mentioned I've been waiting personally a long time to preach through the Book of Romans. I've taught through Romans a few times to men's groups and, and things like that, but uh, never have preached expositionally through the Book of Romans. And so I always said, I want to wait till I turn 50. Uh, to preach the book of Romans. And I, I fudged a little bit on that starting uh, just about four or five weeks before my 50th birthday. Mm -hmm. But now I'm all in. I'm 50 years old and, uh, and, and locked and loaded and, and, and ready to go. Romans is a very, very special book. Mm -hmm. Many would call it their favorite book of the Bible. And uh, there are lots of reasons for that, of course, we're going to discuss today. But uh, I wanted to give just a couple of quotes from uh, men who we revere. Uh, not least the great German reformer, Martin Luther, uh, who said this about Romans, that Romans, quote, is in truth the chief part of the New Testament and the purest gospel. Mm. It would be quite proper for a Christian not only to know it by heart, word for word, mm. but also to study it daily, for it is the soul's daily bread. It can never be read or meditated on too much or too well. The more thoroughly it is treated, the more precious it becomes, and the better it tastes. Mm, what amen. an encouraging word from Luther. And then uh, the French re reformer, John Calvin, uh, wrote this about Romans, that when anyone gains a knowledge of this epistle, he has an entrance opened to him to all the most hidden treasures of Scripture. Mm. The book of Romans, gentlemen, it is indeed a treasure for the church, and what a joy it is to have begun walking through it as a congregation and uh, want to open up conversation about uh, the book of Romans and perhaps what we've learned uh, thus far and uh, what we're anticipating learning as we move through uh, this marvelous epistle. I guess from my point of view, when I think of the book of Romans, I think of the clearest exposition of the gospel that you will see in the New Testament. Amen. And if you start at even the very beginning in the introduction to the book where Paul is giving his greetings, and then he gives a discussion of who Christ is, speaking about his, his birth, assuming human nature, speaking about his resurrection where he was declared the Son of God with power. 
we get all of these things just in the introduction, but if you think about how Paul kind of lines up his argument, you think of someone who, in a sense, has time to meditate and think about all that the Holy Spirit taught him and what he learned from the rest of the apostles, presumably. But you have a treatise. We speak about the fall of man, or at least the universal depravity of man, mm. walking all the way through until you get to chapter 8 and the glorification of man. And so you look at just the first eight chapters or so, and you just see how Paul's mind is, in a sense, turning to speak about the many aspects of salvation. And so mm. we're used to, you know, in Reformed tradition and also just Protestants in general, we spend a lot of time debating justification for right reason, yeah, because right. it's often confused, often misinterpreted, and often misapplied. But when you see how Paul walks through Romans, justification is one-on-one, but then you have the unfolding of all of that that comes afterwards. Mm-hmm. And you think of having peace with God in chapter four and five. You have um, sanctification worked out in chapter six. You have the ongoing Christian warfare in chapter mm-hmm. seven. You have the reality of the life of the spirit in chapter eight. You have the yearning for all things to be redeemed in chapter 8. You get the height of God's love in chapter 8. And then you get to matters of election, predestination, the history of Israel, the future of Israel. So from Paul's perspective, you're looking at, in a sense, a discourse on the most fundamental aspects of what the gospel is. Not merely, and I don't use merely in a sense of justification, it's just an unimportant thing. But I'm speaking here about the fact that when we speak about the good news, it starts with what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and giving us his righteousness and establishing us in peace so that we have peace of God. But then he builds to this Mount Everest sort of experience in chapter 8. And when you read through Romans going straight through, you're climaxing all the way through, <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. And so when you kind of reflect upon what you've read, you are much more deeply appreciative of all that Christ did mm-hmm. for us in our salvation mm-hmm. and what we will experience in the future. We haven't even gotten to that full, you haven't even gotten to like 3% of it, mm-hmm. in a sense, mm-hmm. because we are still on this side where we see things dimly. We still haven't really got to all that Paul speaks about in chapter 8 and concerning the the full resurrection of the body, the full glorification of the Christian, the full redemption of creation. We haven't even seen that yet, but that is where we're going. So you get the reality of what we have here, what we experience with Christ now, we're united to him, we have peace with God uh, through him. But then we get the unfolding of where that will go in the future. And thus, you get chapter 8 that says, you know, you know, why do we still have hope? You know, if we see everything we have, why do we hope for it? But the reality is that we have hope because we know even the glory of what we have now, we will not fully understand until we are on the other side. Amen. Amen. And these are... Uh, these are glorious things, and it seems that in a lot of the evangelical world today, mm-hmm. we have sort of marginalized these truths to talk about current events. Yeah. 
right? Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is actually when you when you do the deep dive into Romans, or I mean anywhere in God's Word, but we're talking about Romans today. But when you do the deep dive into Romans, you actually have glorious truth to apply to the situations yes. we're going through today, rather than going straight to mm-hmm. the situations and applying. Uh, secular ideologies or sociology to try to f- so-called fix the problems of our culture. And one example is in the opening chapters of Romans, chapters 1, 18 through 320, you have what Gabe mentioned earlier, the universal depravity of mankind. Now, what is the p- point that Paul is making? He is saying, essentially, that all mankind, men and women, boys and girls, Uh, every ethnicity, Jew and Gentile, all are guilty before the Holy God. Mm -hmm. All are guilty before our Holy God who has set forth His holy standard in His law. Mm -hmm. And we all have our mouths shut. No one is righteous. No, not one, right? And so what does that do as we think about our own, in our own day where we have all of this divisive talk about um, uh, racial justice and all of these things, which we know there are there's there are realities, there are important things to talk about in those situations. But the way it's so charged and the way that people are talking about these things, they're actually not thinking of it in biblical terms that we're all guilty before God. It's everybody pointing their fingers at each other, right? Mm-hmm. So this actually, this wonderful doctrine, it applies so beautifully to our own day where we all do need to realize, whatever our background is, that we are all guilty, that we are all to blame, and that puts us all on the same level before our God. And then points us, of course, to Romans 3.21, which says that the law can't save you, but there is one who can, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he obeyed that law perfectly for you. And he went to the cross and he died for you while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you, Paul says. And he has been raised for you. And in him, by grace, through faith, you now stand before God justified. You have peace with God in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That is a message for the world. And this yeah. is the message that Paul brings to us in the book of Romans. Absolutely. Those things are so uh, foundational. You need to understand uh, as a person before you can do much else. You need to understand who you are before your creator. And Paul lays that out for you right in the beginning. One thing that I love about the book of Romans and I'm I'm struck by each time I read through it is just how fantastic of a a teacher and a preacher Paul is Mm. in this this book. He is uh, all throughout drawing our attention, of course, to Christ and reminding us of these foundational truths, but he's also bringing up objections to what he is teaching and countering those objections right away. I mean, how many have, have read through Romans 9 and, and, and thought to ourselves, is God then unjust? Is God then unloving? Mm. Well, we, we read Paul say... In light of the doctrine of election. In, in, yeah. Right, yes, exactly, in light of the doctrine of election. Um, is God then unloving? And, and Paul raises that objection. Is God at fault here? Is, is there something wrong with God? He does the same thing in Romans uh, 6 mm-hmm. when, when he asks, what, why, why can't we then just go on sinning? If, if grace is all that matters uh, in, in the Christian life, if, if we are going to be forgiven by God no matter what we do, um, why can't we just live our lives in, in sin? And, and he raises that objection and then counters it with the answer because you've died to sin. 
you're no longer your own, but you're, yeah. you're, you're Christ's now. You are no longer slaves to sin, but mm-hmm. slaves to righteousness. And um, he's just a, a fantastic teacher and preacher in this in this letter, and this really shows throughout the book. Amen. It's interesting, isn't it, uh, Gabe? Um, as Paul introduces the book, he is he's really uh, consumed with the gospel. He it, it's coming through in his greetings. Mm-hmm. It's coming through in you know various things that he's saying where we wouldn't perhaps even bring up the gospel as it concerns some of the things he's talking about in his in his general introduction, which where he's a lot of personal remarks. But the gospel is is everywhere. It's all over this, and um, that's one thing that's been encouraging to me. And it's the reality that, and I'm paraphrasing another person, but it's the idea in which you have two ways to view the world in one sense. You can view the world from the human-centered lens of what's happening to you, in a sense, Mm -hmm. or you can view the world as through the lens of the gospel, which means everything is conformed to it. And so when you see Paul immediately going into a discussion concerning the fact that he's a apostle Hmm. of jesus christ set apart for the gospel of god that he immediately goes into how the entire old testament history ought to be seen in light of the gospel and it's also meant to be a point that's reiterated multiple times that you don't understand the gospel unless you understand the old testament correctly and hence that's why paul immediately starts by saying that this gospel was promised beforehand by the prophets and the holy scriptures and then it concerns his son teaching you that if you did not see the messiah as being the heart and soul and the goal of what the old testament was about then you've misread the old testament and misunderstood it and then he speaks further on about the both the humiliation of jesus christ in terms of him assuming human nature and in terms of the sufferings he went through on earth but then you have him being declared the son of God with power, meaning that the whole goal of the Old Testament prophecy was to see both the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Mm-hmm. And that's also part, and this is something that happens when you just kind of read through it one time. You see that theme come out again in Romans 3 when he speaks about all that fallen short of the glory of God. That's not merely a statement about the sinfulness of man. It's a reality that man has fallen short of God's glory, but Christ did not. Mm. And as a result of that reality, uh, Christ has attained what we could not have attained. Mm -hmm. And therefore, as a consequence, we are now united to him and we receive all of the benefits that come with that. So whereas we have fallen short of the glory and through Adam, we would have always fallen short of that glory. Christ has attained glory and therefore has given it to us as his children. But all of that means that when you look at what the Old Testament is thinking when it comes to how the prophets prophesied, we know they did not see everything clearly from how they understood and what they spoke. But when the fullness of time came, when Christ came, you can say in a very real sense that what was shadowy and incomplete in the old is now revealed and in a sense clarified in the new and we see all of these messianic promises of christ's glory being fulfilled in the gospel and that's why the gospel when paul speaks about in romans is centered around propitiation because it talks about the sacrificial system it speaks about the glory to be revealed because it's speaking about what's coming next 
uh, for the actual Christian church because we are in Christ and will be with him in glory. So all of these things are coming back to both what the prophets themselves refer to, but it's always with the view that all of history in the past, what we currently experience now and where we're going, you must see it through the lens of the gospel because that's what it was made for. It was for the sake of the gospel. To Amen. Begin with. And as you mentioned, Gabe, the gospel is not just a word that we attach to a bunch of agendas and, yes. and, and, and action <laughs> items that we have, right? The gospel is has content. As content is more important than all those other things. Yes. And so everybody talks about gospel issues. I mean, there are so many gospel issues in our day that the actual content of the gospel has often been uh, overwhelmed by those gospel, so-called gospel issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm uncomfortable attaching gospel to every single thing. I, I think that's, that's unnecessary and it's confusing to people. But where do we find the content of the gospel? We find it in Romans 1 through 11. Mm-hmm. That's the content. If you want to really know the gospel, the good news, it is found in Romans chapter 1 through 11. And it's taught to us uh, beautifully in a kind of catechetical way, right? Mm-hmm. We've yeah. Throughout the ages, we've had pastors and theologians writing catechisms for the church. Catechisms being um, the teaching tools, pedagogical tools to teach doctrine, mm-hmm. sound right doctrine for the members of the church so that they know what they believe, why they believe it, and are standing firm in that truth when there are seductive lies of the culture, when when there are um, ideologies that emerge that, that look like they might be right, but they're clearly contrary to scripture. And mm-hmm. so people that don't know their doctrine, they end up capitulating to these mm-hmm. things, right? right. And, and so it's not... It's not uh, less doctrine that we need in our day. It's more doctrine that we need in our day. And so that's why we need Romans, right? It's not, we we don't need less worship services to hear preaching. Mm -hmm. We need more worship services. What's the church doing today? It's canceling evening worship services. Mm -hmm. Is that because we're more spiritual? We don't need evening worship anymore? We don't need the Lord's Day anymore? Well, of course we do. We need Mm -hmm. it now more than ever because, and I'll I'll open this up, guys. (laughs) A couple weeks ago, I talked about how how uh, we are going back to a kind of pre-Christian Roman times. Yeah. I mean, we, we are not, America is quickly throwing off its Christian heritage, mm. quickly. Probably quicker than any nation in history yeah. has done. Europe took yeah. 50 years to do what we're doing in five, right? Mm. It's extraordinary how quickly it's all happening. So Romans is actually, the best thing we could be studying right now in a lot of yes. ways in our congregation because we are we are learning what Paul says to the churches in 57 AD in a pre-Christian Rome where paganism and secularism is all that everybody knows. Yeah. There are no churches on every corner. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so I'd love to get your all's thoughts on that and um, how we can encourage our people as it concerns these things. In so far as we encourage them to read Romans, <laughs> is, that, is that what you mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think you know you nail it every every Lord's Day when we're together um, with the the church to just remind people that the Scripture is it was written in a particular context that that Paul wrote this letter to a particular group of people, but it was also written to us 
to all of us yeah. uh, and, and all Christians throughout the ages. And so um, just that application that you're talking about is so essential yeah. because we, we are just inundated day to day with all kinds of things. You can't, yeah. you can't um, turn on the television without being just bombarded with the woke agendas yeah. of, of various people. Um, and, and of course, the same is true with social media. And so yeah. we need to be drawn back each and every Lord's Day twice yeah. a week, twice on, on the Lord's Day uh, to these core truths and to understand how this ancient text applies to very modern uh, situations. One of our main issues today, of course, is uh, the uh, distortion of human sexuality, mm -hmm. right? And um, of course, first century Rome, you would have had all kinds of, of perverse sexuality being taught and practiced, right? Mm -hmm. Does Paul ignore that issue to stay out of trouble, or does he does he deal with it head on? <laughs> First chapter. First right chapter. It, it's about as clear as you can put it, in yeah. a sense, because when it, we speak about the universal depravity of mankind, Paul specifically does a sermon illustration example, and his is homosexuality. Yeah. When we speak about the uh, the degradation of mankind and just the the evolution uh, in a sense of what's going on when man is in sin they're loving their sin they are worshiping the creation rather than the creator who was blessed forever immediately from that paul connects that downward slope of idolatry mm. to essentially disordered and filthy desires mm. and homosexuality is one of those and is the heart and soul of that section which is why if, if you ever see uh, those who promote a form of gay Christianity, they often try to misinterpret this in the sense that Paul is not speaking about homosexuality. He's speaking about uh, homosexual rape and things of that nature. They attempted to distort the heart and soul, which is to say here that when man has abandoned God and have gone on their own, it's not an accident or it's not mysterious that they forget, in a sense, who they are and distort what they're made for. Mm. And it's not accidental. It's a deliberate, uh, you can say, God giving mankind over to lustful desires that are, in one sense, God's judgment. As it says in Romans 1, the wrath of God is being poured out. But in another sense, it is the self-destruction of mankind apart from God. Yes. And that is the reality of what any society that turns its back upon Christ, especially one that has had the gospel in their possession, to turn against that is to invite the judgment of God directly upon you and to just wave the flag that you want destruction. You're waving the flag of Sodom and Gomorrah in the modern country. Freedom is not being whom God hasn't made you to be. Amen. That is not freedom. And that's that's the lie that our culture is now yes. uh, embracing, right? Yeah, Romans 6 calls that slavery, slavery to sin. Slavery to sin. And it, it brings such confusion and madness that it will even drive uh, federal officials to want to put into law that a child, mm. a child apart from the authority of their parents can have a sex reassignment mm. surgery. Mm -hmm. That's the madness to where we've come. We won't let a child buy, buy a pack of cigarettes, but we'll, yeah. but we'll let them uh, suddenly 
be able to go into a hospital and have a, a sex reassignment surgery and take all kinds of hormones apart from their parents' permission. Mm -hmm. That's the craziness that we've come to. As parents, we wouldn't even let our kids touch the car <laughs> for years. Yeah. But, you know, you want a sex change? Yeah. And who can stop you? And this right. kind of mentality. And, yes. and, and just recently, by the way, yeah. I heard uh, from uh, Dr. Moeller's podcast mm -hmm. that in two townships in Massachusetts mm. now, uh, polygamy is now an officially uh, received um, uh, relationship that, or polyamory that you can have multiple partners or wives, and that's uh, you're, you have proper legal status mm. with that. So what yeah. everybody was saying could not happen is now happening when the, when gay marriage was approved they said yes. oh well, now we're gonna have polygamy next oh that will now never yeah. happen well when you have lgbtq plus <laughs> what do you expect to happen with that plus what well you better get ready seen. for everything to happen yeah and you know speaking about sexual perversion in general uh we also live in a time where it's not merely just disordered uh, desires one to another. We also now have a proliferation of fornication and all of the things that that invites. And mm -hmm. so, uh, some of you may have seen the study recently, but there was a study done over the past year based upon COVID, in terms of how has the recent kind of isolation affected uh, sexual appetites and sexual mm -hmm. desires. And they're seeing that um, pornography, masturbation, and also child pornography is skyrocketing. Mm. And the reality of the matter is, again, when you are departing from the very foundation of what mm. we know is yeah. correct and ought to be done, when we depart from what God has established and clearly stated in his word, and which was obvious 20 years ago and when you've rejected that you invite the wrath of god to be poured out in many different ways and one of those ways is homosexuality as romans 1 says but if you read the rest of romans 1 you have that list of vices and a lot of those vices are sexually oriented yeah so it's not merely just homosexuality it's all matters of perversion lewdness sensuality yeah. and if you in understand that in light of other things Paul has written. He's speaking about the sec uh, sexual degradation of the ancient world. It's mm -hmm. real. We're, and as you mentioned, John, we're, we're not going to an unknown future. We know what this looks like already. Yes. We know yes. what happens yeah. in a society in which all matters of restraint is thrown off when it comes to these matters. It's only a matter of time. That's right. In Romans chapter 3, we have the good news for those who have been caught up in a life of licentiousness of any kind, whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, mm -hmm. um, or any kind of sexual perversion or fornication or any other kinds of, of sin that are listed there in, in Romans. We have this news, Romans one, excuse me, Romans three nineteen. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Mm -hmm. And so there we are all, uh, whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you're from, 
Uh, you, along with the three of us sitting at these microphones, are sinners and are under God's accountability. Mm-hmm. We will stand before Him. Yeah. Yes. And, but then, listen to this good news. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Amen. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a wrath-bearer, by His blood to be received by faith. So this is the good news of the gospel that we see so beautifully concentrated in these few verses, but really that's explicated all the way through until chapter 11. And, um, and it gives a glorious benediction there, a doxology rather, at the end of chapter 11. And then in chapter 12 through 16, we have uh, the call to live the Christian life. Yes. Right? So we have the gospel, the, uh, the, the clear indicatives set forth in Romans 1 through 11. And then in chapter 12, we have Paul saying, Therefore, uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then Paul goes on uh, and he enumerates dozens of commands Mm -hmm. and imperatives for the Christian life. So what does that teach us about the book of Romans and and Paul's kind of approach to the Christian life? Well, primarily that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ requires something of us. If we are truly to live out our Christian lives, we must do so according to the truth of God that he has revealed to us in the gospel. And, And Paul here is giving us explicit examples of what that looks like and ways in which the gospel must transform our lives mm-hmm. and our hearts and our minds and the actions that we must take now that we are new creations, right? Now that we are uh, saved by Christ, okay, here is how you live. Yeah, so in light we're adorned with the fruit of the gospel. Exactly. And uh, it doesn't, our, our, our acts of righteousness, our response does not add to the grounds of our salvation, exactly. but they are the fruit Fruits. of our salvation. Reality also is that when you look at Romans 12, that statement, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, you think back to Romans 6, where you could present your members as instruments of sin leading to death, or present your members as instruments of righteousness leading to life is the conclusion of Romans 6. Not to say that good works in themselves merit salvation, but it is a statement that says that the person who is justified freely by God's grace is also the one who is sanctified by that same grace. Mm. And so the reality is that when we get to chapter 12 in Romans, you have the instruction of what you are in Jesus Christ. So the indicative side. And now you have kind of what Sinclair Ferguson would say, 
you live out who you are now. And so the new man has a new nature. And because of that new nature, they have a new life. It's no longer a life devoted to the self, devoted to your own pleasure but most of chapter 12 is in the context of the church right so it's being devoted to one another and brotherly love it's um presenting uh pushing others first before yourself it is being devoted to hospitality it is about loving your neighbor as yourself it is fulfilling the law as was given to you as someone who is redeemed by god's grace now gabe if i can ask you uh for our listeners to Mm -hmm. read chapter 12 verses 3 through 8 and you made the point i was going to ask you about because it's interesting that the first thing that paul does in this application section is talk about the church amen and of course this podcast is a podcast of christ church what for For christ Christ church Church. and so this is a huge point i'd love you to elaborate on as a as a church member um yeah definitely so this is romans chapter 12 starting at verse 3 For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in this serving, or he who teaches in this teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so you have a beautiful, and Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians in terms of the diversity of the gifts in the body. Mm-hmm. And it's the reality that God saves many different types of people, equips them with many different types of gifts so that the body itself, one, is not lacking in any gift. But also in 1 Corinthians, it speaks about the fact that different gifts are given so that we are mutually dependent. And so if you look at this passage here, Verse 4, just as we have many members in one body, and we all do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The implication is that since we are part of the same body, each part must function together in unity. If that is not happening, there is something flawed in a body, or the body, in a sense, Mm. breaks down, if you take the human analogy. Yeah. What we expect is that for a a godly church to function, the members understand what they have committed themselves to. Yes. As you think about your vows of church membership and you serve wherever the opportunity arises. And, you know, when I was younger, the whole kind of trend was you need to find your spiritual gift. Like, I understand the idea. But often what that meant is, I don't want to serve here. I want to do that. That's often what that meant. And so... I'm not gifted to take out the trash. That's that's not my gift, right? But maturity tells you that your service is often where you find out where your gifts lie in a lot of kind of practical sort of ways. And so one of the first imperatives you see as a result is the reality of service. 
verse 6 and 7, after prophecy, you have service in his serving. I don't think that's accidental. I think the purpose of that is to say that what makes the body of Christ the body of Christ is the active service of each member. Hmm. From there flow a number of other things, such as exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, and etc. Hmm. But service to the body is foundational. It's what you vow when you make membership vows uh, to a church. And so that's part of what it means to be a Christian, to understand you're redeemed by God's grace, and to say that you're no longer your own means that you offer yourself to the body. Yeah. And that's what your service is to the body. Yes, and here's the thing people make a mistake about as well, uh, when they think that they can be autonomous, individual Christians not connected to a local church. Mm -hmm. Every Christian, if they are indeed a Christian, they are in union with Christ. Yes. There is a reality there. Mm -hmm. If you are a Christian, you are united to Christ. And if you are united to Christ, you are united to his body. body. The church. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it is acting out of character, or out of your new nature in Christ to say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to be associated with or um, highly connected to and active in a local church, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it's really a, an oxymoron of some kind, right? To say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a church member. Yeah, exactly. And more than that, what it often says about person and of course it's not always true but often when you see individuals who are hostile to the idea of local church membership it often goes back to a desire not to be under submission for one reason or another there's a heart that does not want to humble themselves under the hand of God and mm -hmm. often the way that God humbles you is through elders and those he has put over your charge then there's the other reality that here, how can you possibly say that you are serving the church as a Christian if you're not committed to the church? It's it's a practical impossibility. Right. It's one of those things where you can say, you know, I'm part of the universal church, <laughs> but not the local church. How that works, I don't understand. But the reality is you cannot claim in any real substantive sense that you are united to Christ and you are loving the universal church if that's not visibly seen in where you go. And yeah, I'll keep that there. And that's, and that's the <laughs> proximity issue. Yeah. So you, I, I like to explain to our folks during the uh, new members class that you may not be able to love well a Christian who lives in Delhi, India mm -hmm. because of the proximity, they're so far away. But you can certainly love the church members that you see every week. Yes. And that, that's where you use your gifts. Now, you may right. have opportunities at various times when you're traveling or on a mission trip or something to serve the body of Christ in other places mm -hmm. um, or to reach the lost in other places. But you're, as a Christian, where you are exercising your faith and your gifts is right here mm -hmm. in your hometown, yes. in your local church. Now, if you don't have a local church, then that's part of the reason why we say at the Lord's table, right? We say, if you are a member, a baptized member of a local church yeah. in good standing, you may come to the table. And, and listen, I've heard it a hundred times over the years. Now, pastor, why would you say that? Why would you stop people from coming to the table? Well, the answer is because a Christian, 
a professing Christian who's saying, I want to come to the Lord's table and to partake of this means of grace that is a part of the discipline and order of the church, but I don't want to be a part of a church. It makes no sense at all, right? So uh, it's not a free-for-all. We don't walk outside and start handing out the bread and wine (laughs) to people walking down the road who say they're Christians. Mm -hmm. We hand it to those who have bowed the knee to Christ and showed in their commitments and in their vows that they are indeed committed to Christ. Outside of baptism and church membership, there's no real sign of that or accountability or oversight, right? So that's what you were mentioning before. Well, this has just been a very helpful uh, conversation, and I I think we're going to probably talk about Romans a lot over the next next few months and various, various episodes, and we'll come back to it. But this was meant to be a bit of an overview. I want to end with a quote by Richard Longenecker, who writes that Romans is the, quote, most highly acclaimed writing of the New Testament throughout the entire course of Christian history. It is so because it has been, in very large measure, the heartland of Christian thought, life, and proclamation. And so uh, what a joy it is to uh, dig deep into this. Uh, Members of Christ Church, friends of Christ Church, please make sure you are under the preaching of the Word um, on the Lord's Day and, and under... Uh, the instruction of Romans, we know that you will love and appreciate the gospel so much more uh, than you even do now. And I know you love it. Well, this has been a great episode, and we look forward to, to being with you next time on Between the Times. 